0: Hey, how's he doing? Is my mic working? It is. That's good. Um, <clears throat> I was going to spend a bit of time in that passage that was read out for us just then tonight, uh, but I decided that I didn't want to include. I wanted our talk to be a little bit shorter tonight, so I haven't. I haven't covered that. Did someone just cheer? Woo! Shorter. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so we're not going to cover the stuff from that Bible reading tonight, Um, but if you are interested in things that are in that Bible reading and you want to talk about it, you can talk to me or you can talk to another leader here about that stuff this week or any other time. So, there's some good stuff in there, but we're not going to do it tonight. Now, what would you say was the job of the church? Yesterday we saw what the church is, right, and how it's to be. Today we're going to ask the question... What does it exist for? What's it there to do? That's the question we're going to ask about the church. Now, a few weeks ago, I had a really weird experience. I went to this meeting. I got roped into it as a weird thing. But I went to this meeting with a whole bunch of church leaders from around the coast and the secretary to the prime minister, which is some important guy who knows about government stuff, right? And so me and these other ministers from around the coast are hanging out in this room talking to this guy from the prime minister about... What the church thinks matters, what the church thinks is important, what we're concerned about. And so this guy was there to hear from us and kind of hear what we said. So basically I got to spend like two hours listening to all these leaders from around the central coast from churches and I got to hear from them what they thought was important, got to hear what they thought the job of the church was. It was like a window into their minds as to what they thought mattered for the church, right? Now, you'd think if anyone knew what the job of the church was, it would be a bunch of ministers hanging out in a room, right? Well, it was a pretty weird time, and we didn't agree on much. Some leaders were really concerned about making people's lives better, and so they were like, What's the deal with the NBN? Let's get their national broadband network on the Central Coast, and that'll make people's lives better. Some people thought the most important thing was that we needed to help other people, and so they were like, Come on, let's solve society's problems, let's help the homeless, let's help people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Some people talked about wanting scripture in schools, other people talked about justice issues and they wanted to help asylum seekers and all that kind of stuff. Some people even, even seem to think that the real job of the church was to stop the ISIS group from infiltrating Australia. And they're like, we've got to stop ISIS, let's do this thing. And so there were all these different ideas about what the job of the church actually is. There's a whole range of things. And I want to ask us this morning, well, what is the job of the church? But rather than just sitting around and throwing out random ideas, effectively what I want us to do is I want us to ask God tonight, what is the job of the church? And hopefully we'll hear from God's Word what the job of the church actually is. And that's the question that really matters. See, if the church is the central thing that that God is doing in the world, if it's at the centre of His plans for the world, if the church is a monument to His glory that He died to create, well, you want to be clear on what it's there for. You want to know what the point of it is. You want to know what we're doing as a church. Why do we exist? Why have we been gathered? So let's pray and see what the Word says tonight. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that tonight, once again, that you'd blow us away by your word. Please Lord, capture us up in the mission of the church, capture us up in what this thing is on about and I pray that you would stir us up to live our lives for something that matters. Father God, please do that among us tonight. Amen. Alright, now I should say up front that, like I said, I'm not even covering that Bible reading that we did tonight. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I could say about the job of the church and I'm just going to be able to cover some stuff, some central stuff tonight, but I can't cover everything. Now, our first point tonight, rather than me just tell it to you straight away, I want you guys to figure it out for me, okay? You're doing a little bit of investigation work. So I'm going to read some verses, they'll appear on the screen. And I want you guys to look at these verses and think... What does God want from His church, from these verses? What does He want? These verses are all from the Old Testament. So what does God want from His people, right? Listen to this and look. Exodus chapter 34 verse 14. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you, today that you'll surely be destroyed Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 6 do not follow other gods to serve and worship them do not arouse my anger with the, with what your hands have made then I'll not harm you what do you guys reckon Who's brave enough to say something what do you reckon God wants from his people in these verses yep Yeah, he wants us to worship him. Now it's easy because it's written in your books, but I couldn't say that because then I wouldn't have got anyone. That's right. Point number one, the church exists for worship. Now, who knew the answer to that because it was written right in front of you? Who who was like, this is so stupid. Not too many. Good. Only a few of us can read. Helpful. No, I'm just kidding. You're all very clever. Um, The church exists for worship. Now, worship means undivided devotion to God above all else. Undivided devotion giving glory to Him like we talked about this morning. Now when we hear the word worship, I reckon the thing that comes straight to our mind is guitars and church music and worship bands and singing with our eyes closed and our hands in the air and all that kind of stuff. Now it's worthwhile recognizing that singing, no matter what you're doing with your body by the way, singing is just one way of worshiping God. So it's wrong to assume that singing Singing in church is exactly the same thing as worshipping God. That would be like saying running is the same as soccer, right? Now, one thing you do when you play soccer is you do run, right? But it's not true to say soccer equals running because running is a part of soccer, but it's not all that there is to soccer, right? You understand? Likewise, you can't just say singing equals worship. Because singing is one part of worship, but it's not all that there is to worship. In the Old Testament, in some of those verses we we're just looking at, first and foremost in the Old Testament, worship was about following Yahweh, following God as God, and nothing else and no one else. So, in that context, worship is a little bit like a relationship, it's like a marriage, right? and and, and worshipping something other than God is a little bit like cheating in marriage. I'll explain what I mean. See, marriage is a relationship where it's expected that you have one wife and you treat, if you're a husband, you treat that person as your wife and you don't treat anyone else as your wife and do things with them as if they were your wife. You treat treat your wife alone as your wife or vice versa. Treating anyone else or anything else as God in our lives whether that's another God or just a thing, is cheating on God. The Bible's word for that is idolatry. And in the Old Testament, we've seen a little bit of this this week, God's people failed at that time and time again. They kept worshipping other gods and other things as God, Constantly and they failed, and, and so remember we had that slide. Here's a summary of the Old Testament, and it was that I'm sad face. That, that's that's their history. They failed time and time again. Now, today are we tempted to worship idols? Yeah, we are not in the exact same way necessarily that they were in the Old Testament, but we are now come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament. Now, the first little bit of this chapter, which we're looking at, 1 Corinthians 10, um, Paul's been talking and he's reminding them of this history of failure for God's people, right? The Jews in the Old Testament, they failed time and time again in their worship of God because they kept on worshipping other gods. But look at how Paul takes this history from the Old Testament and applies it to us. Look at verse 6 in chapter 10. He's just talked about all the failures in the past from Israel. And he says, now these things occurred, these guys in the past, occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in revelry. I don't really write, in, in revelry which is drunken partying uh, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died this is just history from the old testament right you can read this in your bibles um, we should not test christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels these angel these things happened to them why as examples and were written down as warnings for us, the church, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So Israel's history throughout the Old Testament of failing to worship God alone and worshipping other things instead stands as a warning in history that screams at us from the past, worship God alone and no one else, nothing else learn from Israel's mistakes, worship God alone. Israel's history, their failure in the past, is like one of those heavy skin cancer ads. You guys ever been to like the movies lately and you're there with your friends and you're there to have a good time and then you get this little story at the start of your movie about like some young guy who's died of skin cancer way too young it's like this heavy story and you're like whoa that was a real big downer at the start of the hunger games right and and it's not there to just be a downer that's there to warn us and 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 say learn from other people's things that's happened to them learn from you know cover up in the sun avoid um sunburn and don't you know don't get skin cancer like this other guy did learn from what's happened to other people Israel's history of idolatry warns us screams out to us worship God alone now let's just apply that to us as as the church now today just two quick points of application first of all what does idolatry look like for us today it's worthwhile saying that sometimes there might be some contexts where you're actually tempted to worship literally things that other people call gods so you might get involved in mixed religious gatherings and and decide it's okay to worship this God and that God and we can do that together. You might go visit a temple or something like that as part of your school excursion. And I just want to warn us, it's okay to look at other religions and observe things and so on, but you can't worship other gods in those contexts. But what else does it look like? Well, sometimes it's not as obvious as literally bowing down to other gods. Sometimes it's as simple as bowing down to other things in our lives anything can become an idol when we treat it as God, when we act like it's God in our life. And so in the verses we just read there, part of idolatry can be just partying, drunken partying, verse 7. Verse 8, part of idolatry can be sexual immorality, where you value and treat sex above God, idolatry. You can make a God out of anything. You can make a God out of money. You can make a God out of sport. You can make a God out of fantasy sport, like fantasy basketball. You can make a God out of the opinion of others and what they think of you. You can make a God out of going to the gym and making sure you never miss leg day, right? I miss leg day quite a lot. Look at my legs. Um, you You can make a God out of good things, like a wife or a husband or one day... Um, some kids of your own, you can turn all sorts of good things or evil things into idols which you worship as your God in the way that you relate to them. And when we do that, we fail at our number one goal as the church, which is to worship God alone. So there's how not to worship God, by worshipping other things. Instead, what we should do is give ourselves to right worship of God. And so worship God with your day-to-day lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So worship God when you're alone at home in the way you live and conduct yourself. Worship God at school. Uh, Worship God at church. Live in a way that worships God, right? In everything that you do. Secondly, can I give us a quick word on how we're going at worshipping as, as a gathered people? So when we're gathered together at Eva Youth at Fat and so on, let's just think about that very quickly. I can think of at least two pretty silly things but two pretty obvious threats to just healthy worship when we gather and one of them we've actually banged on about it a whole lot this week so I'm not going to spend much time on it but one of them I reckon is phones. It's phones. See. Every aspect of our gathering at either youth is worship. So when we're praying together, that's worship to God. When we're singing together, that's also worship. When we're listening to the Bible read, that's worship. When we're listening to it explained, that's worship. Even when we're hanging out at the end and the way we relate, that's all worship, right? It's so easy to get distracted by silly things like phones in our gatherings. Who here this week has made a conscious effort to leave your phone in your pocket and pull out a, another Bible and even take notes and stuff like that? Who's been doing that this week, a little bit different to what you usually do? Who's found that really helpful and found that you've learned and engaged heaps more with what's been going on? Who's engaged heaps more? Quite a few of you. As many people as you have put up your hands and said it was better, basically. And so I want to encourage you guys, when we go back to youth, come to youth with your own Bible leave your phone in your pocket and even better, maybe get like a notebook and start taking notes in sermons every week. It'll change your life. It's such a small, simple thing. Just find someone who's taken notes in sermons every week for like a bunch of time and they'll tell you all about how good it is. Ditch your phones during youth and and do something with some paper. That's a silly thing though. Anyway, another threat to our worship in our gatherings, I reckon, is actually just each other some of us are very good worship leaders in terms of helping other people around us worship ourselves, right? And so we're really good at distracting everyone else around us. And so when we're gathered, instead of actually reflecting on who God is and praising Him and worshipping Him, you might actually make a habit of just making a big crazy fuss and making people look at you. Maybe you're just there to say funny stuff and people can laugh at you and think, how great is such and such, instead of how great is God, (laughs) Look at me, give me glory instead of God. And so, guys, just (laughs) let our gatherings be about Jesus and not about ourselves in the way we conduct ourselves. There's a few helpful things. Brothers and sisters, flee from idolatry, not just in our gatherings but in our whole lives. Worship God. Now, our next two points for tonight, right? Um, there's only two points left, uh, mission and service. Both of these two things that we're going to talk about next are actually forms of worship as well. So we're going to talk about something different, but recognize as we do that what we're talking about is another way of worshiping God. I hope you understand. We'll see how we go. All right, here's the second thing. Here's the second job of the church. The church exists for service. Now, service is just helping someone else, doing something for someone else. It's the same word as the word ministry, right? So if I'm a youth uh, youth minister, uh, that means I'm just a youth servant, right? I'm a person who does service to youth. Both words mean the same things. So service is just as simple as tying your brother's shoelace up because he needs help or whatever. It can be a really simple thing. In the church, in the context of serving in the church, service has a particular goal in mind. We're serving for a particular reason. Come over to Ephesians chapter 4 and see what our service is about. Ephesians chapter 4. And as you come to Ephesians chapter 4, just think about this question for a second. Who do you reckon is supposed to do the ministry in church? Whose job is it to do the ministry in church? Don't have to answer out loud, but just have a think. I wonder what jumped into your mind. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, look at this, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip God's people for works of service. Now, that verse there is talking about all these different leaders in the church, leaders and teachers, and all variety of pastors, apostles, and teachers, and, and so on. All those different people are leaders, they're teachers within the church, but why have they been given? Have they been given to the church by Jesus so that those people can go and do all the service and do all the stuff that needs doing? Nah. <laughs> Look what it says He gave, or blah, 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 He gave all these different people to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the leaders and the teachers in the church's job, right, isn't to just go and do all the ministry, go and do all the service. Their job is actually to train the rest of the church and equip them, make them ready for service, train them up so that they can do service as well. And the reason they're doing that, the goal of it, is so that the church can be built up. Look at verse 12 again. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the church serves so that the body can be built, right? Now, in your Bibles it will say the word built up but it is literally just the word built. And so what that means is the church serves so that the body of Christ, can be the church, can be built out with more people coming into it becoming Christians and we serve so that the body of Christ can be built up with people who are Christians maturing as Christians. That word built there is talking about people becoming Christians and people growing as Christians. That's what our service is about, that's our goal, that's what we're doing here, bringing Christians in and building up Christians. So EV Youth, are we serving? How are we going at serving? Are we serving each other in spontaneous, informal ministry? So what I mean is, not when it's your special job because you've got some title to do this thing, but are we just serving each other in the way we relate to each other are we encouraging each other are we talking to Jesus sorry talking to each other about Jesus are we pushing each other on and I don't mean necessarily are your leaders serving you and pushing you on are you serving each other are you encouraging your leaders or do you assume that evil youth is this place that you're meant to come to and then there's these people over here who are the leaders who are meant to do all the work and do all the serving to you because that's not the picture of the church. The church is a place where everyone who's a Christian is serving each other. And sure, there might be leaders among us, but we've all got the same goal of serving the church, building it. People becoming Christians, people growing as Christians. A sure sign that you're a Christian who's maturing is that you're on about serving others in the church. That's what it, that's what it looks like to be mature. I often talk to Year Nines, right? They're like, "I'm pretty old. I'm in Year Nine. How good is that?" And they're like, "I'm way too old for Junior Youth Group. I'm so old that I don't even need to come anymore. It's stupid for me to be at Youth Group. I'm in Year Nine. Look how little Year Seven kids are." And I talk to Year Twelves who are like, "I'm so mature. I'm in Year Twelve. I'm way too mature for these Year Ten and Eleven kids. Look at me. I'm so mature." I don't need to be here, maybe I might come, but I'm certainly not going to pay attention to anything. I get that all the time, right? And I'm kind of making a negative caricature of stuff, right? So sorry if you ever said that to me, just like if you ever wanted to be on a different team at FAT, sorry. Yeah, (laughs) but it's been a while, okay. But I've got people saying that, and and the first thing that always comes to my mind is, man, if you're so old and so mature and and so on and so on, well, why don't you come to either youth to serve the other people around you who you're so much more mature than. Come here for them. Come to build them up. Get into it. Don't stop coming because you're too mature for it. Come to serve others. (laughs) Secondly, though, can I also encourage us to think about actual formal ministry. So serving in a ministry that you are committed to and you're in a team and so on at EV Youth because that needs to happen as well are we serving by actually sticking up our hands and committing to something that will take a bunch of time each week to see happen for the sake of building the church? And particularly, actually, can I talk to guys on this? It seems to me that anytime we talk about ministry, all these girls at EV Youth go, I'm keen to do ministry, and they all turn up to ministry session, they are the first to throw themselves into ministry, and all our guys are left sitting there going, I don't know, and none of our guys are doing service in informal roles around the place. It's a bit crazy, and I don't know why that is. Maybe we need to change the names of some things, all right? Now, from now on, ministry service, we'll call it... Boys. The Boys, all right? So let's get to The Boys Sesh, Term 2, all right? I don't know. We, we need to masculinize this thing somehow. I'm not sure what we're going to do, right? But here's the thing. there's stuff that we would love to see happen in EVA youth that Can't happen yet until some guys kind of stand on up and man up and do some stuff among us and serve. So if you're a Christian, you're not doing anything at either youth in a formal ministry, talk to Miri Boyle if you're at Juniors, talk to Britt if you're at Seniors and man up. We need some guys to be on our our welcoming team and meet people on a Friday night. At the moment, there's lots of happy guys because all these girls are meeting them, right? But we do need some boys on the team (laughs) as well. So get among it and serve. We've got set-up teams that need to happen. We've got some mad stuff planned for Term 2, to do with what juniors looks like. There's all sorts of things that we need serving in um, and we need some blokes to man up, do EV kids, all that kind of stuff. So talk to those guys, hook into some actual ministries and commit to some stuff if you're a Christian. You can actually write that on your feedback form at the end of camp that you want to get in ministry. The church exists for service. There's another big purpose we exist for. Now, I've got one more thing for us. Uh, I made my talk shorter, and so I've kind of planned that we might break and actually sing a song right now, right? Uh, and so we are going to do that. So Ben, jump up. We're going to sing a song, but the break's less needed because it's a shorter talk anyway. But let's sing together. All right. Hello. Hello. It's good to sing together, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he's keen to sing more in a minute. We're going to. It's going to be good. All right. Now, we just said that the church exists for worship. Point 2, the church exists for service. Point 3, the church exists for mission. Now, we all like the idea of being on a mission, don't we? That kind of appeals to us. You might decide to be on a mission to prank Hazy's car tomorrow or something like that. We could do all sorts of missions. <laughs> Frank Jono's guy. What car is that? Who knows? I don't know. Last, car, last time I remember my car was like a red Magna, I think. I think that was my car. So I don't know. Anyway, I can show you a picture of it and me in front of it. It's my car, right? All right. Come over to Matthew chapter 28 with me. And check out what mission the church is on. Now, in this passage, this is Matthew 28. Jesus has risen from the grave. He's shown to the world that he is Lord. And look at what he says. Uh, Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, I'm the resurrected Lord. I'm the boss now. I'm in charge. I've got all authority So let me tell you what your job is. Verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he finishes by saying, And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, go make disciples now disciples are followers of Jesus they're Christians he's saying go and make Christians where well from all nations from every place in the world go and make Christians go find them go go teach people to be Christians baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit now baptism is a symbol, it's an outward symbol, of you get dunked in water of someone who's put their trust in Jesus. So he's saying, go tell people to put their trust in Jesus and dunk them in the water. as a symbol of what they've done and then teach them to obey me. Now, very, very quickly, what that means is if you're a Christian, you should get baptised, by the way. Sometime soon, we'll be doing baptize, baptisms at church. And so if you're a Christian, whether you've become a Christian recently or you've been a Christian for years, if you know that you're a Christian... Well, tell the world around you by getting baptised. It's not a Jesus commands us to do it, so we should obey him. All right? But remember that it's a symbol of someone who's got their trust in Jesus. Now, that's the goal of the church that we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, that same thing of seeing people become Christians and seeing them mature as Christians, being taught to do everything that Jesus told them to do. But Jesus is making very clear here that this is a mission that he's sending us on. So we need to go out into the world. We need to go out. (laughs) It's not enough for the church to just stay gathered in their little churches and their little youth groups and hope that the world someday decides to pop in and kind of check out Jesus and become a Christian through poking their head into church. Some people do that. Some people are interested enough in Christian things that they might pop, the, pop into If People walk in and they're like, oh, I just turned up. Tell me about Jesus. That happens sometimes. But <laughs> for the most part, we actually need to go out into the world and tell them about Jesus. We need to go. <laughs> Which means actually, for the first time in the history of the world, something unusual is happening now. Remember how we saw that God... Uh, The pattern in the Old Testament was that God would gather people as part of his blessing to them and he would scatter them in judgment. We saw this on our first night. What's happening now in world history is that actually Jesus is saying to his church... Go scatter, go get out in the world, go and be in all sorts of places among all sorts of people among the world but not as a judgment on you but actually so that you can bring blessing to others as I scatter you out into the world, bring the news of Jesus with you and bring blessing to the world out there. Go and bring the good news. And notice last of all in verse 20 it says that Jesus says that I will be with you in this to the end. So Jesus is with us but this is a mission that's going to last until the world ends, until our time on earth is done, our mission is to go and make disciples. I'll give you an illustration of what this looks like. Imagine there was like a terrible virus, a, ter- a terrible infection spreading through Australia. Right, so this thing that's going to wipe out millions of people in Australia. This virus coming through, and then someone actually knows all this stuff and and gives you vaccinations for the world and for Australia right we'll keep it local for a second they give you these vaccinations and they say you've got the job of stopping this thing go and give vaccinations to all of Australia to stop this terrible virus that's going to come the problem is not everyone in the world is really that worried about this virus so this thing is going to start spreading and it's going to wipe out all these people but so far people aren't really bothered by it and it's kind of like yeah whatever maybe maybe not now What options do you have if you want to see that vaccination go to everyone to save them from this terrible virus, right? One option is you could just kind of make a big stockpile in Sydney and be like, if you want a vaccination, come to this address, we'll hook you up with a vaccination and you'll be on your way and it'll be good, right? And so for the people who are actually concerned about this virus thing, they might come to you and get a vaccination and you can send them away. But what about the people who don't think it actually really matters, What about the people who don't think that this virus is really going to hurt them and it's not going to be a big deal? Well, what should you do? Well, you should send thousands and thousands of people out into the world armed with this vaccination and and bring it to them. Send people armed with this vaccination to every school, every workplace, every family, every every street in Australia. And when you get there, say to people, you need this vaccination and beg people that they would actually consider how important it is that they receive this thing, right? The good news of Jesus is like that. (laughs) There are people who are concerned, who don't know God, but they're still concerned about where they stand with Him. And those people might come to us and come and join us at EV Youth just on their own because they just want to or whatever and they might find out about Jesus there. But there are so many more people out in the world out there who don't even recognise their need for Jesus. And so we need to go with this news and take it to them. We need to be a church that is... Scattered out in the world, even though we continue to gather week by week, we need to be scattered in the world, all over the place, bringing this news about Jesus into our schools, bringing this news about Jesus into, um, into our sport teams, into our homes, into our streets, into our, our neighbours, whatever. Take this news of Jesus to the world. And even now as teenagers, you can do incredible things as you support the sending of people out all over the world. You can support all sorts of mission even as teenagers. Praying is free, right? Pray as much as you want, it won't cost you a cent. And so pray for mission people who have been sent out into the world. Give up some of your money and use it to support mission all over the world in other places, in Australia and so on. And in, in here it is, here's the thing I want you guys to hear. In the future... ready to actually make hard decisions about what mission might mean for the rest of your life leaders youth all of us (laughs) for some of it that actually for some of us that may may mean actually living in a different place intentionally moving away from comfort perhaps to another place in australia which is under resourced where people desperately need to hear about jesus I don't know if you guys realize this, but for the year 10 to 12 guys among us, you guys are better handlers of the Bible and, and know the Bible better than lots of like full-time pastors in other parts of the world already. <laughs> you guys have got a better Bible knowledge and a better grasp on that kind of stuff than lots of, lots of ministers in other countries. You've got an amazing amount of resource already. And so perhaps there's even other countries that you might consider going to, other parts of the world so people there can know Jesus. Places like the Himalayas that we were talking about um, last night, all sorts of opportunities for this message of salvation to go out, that people could have the forgiveness of sins and know their God forever. And so wherever you are in the world, never stop gathering with God's people, right? But at the same time, never stop living intentionally for the sake of mission. The church exists for mission. And so can I challenge all of us who are Christians here to do two things this week, give you two questions that are worthwhile thinking about this week. You might want to actually take these questions and talk with someone about it. If this has challenged you, then go, all right, I need to talk to someone about this. Talk to a friend, talk to a leader, talk to myself if you want to. Here's two questions worthwhile asking. First one is this, where is the best place for you to do mission right now as a teenager living on the central coast probably with your parents where's the best place for you to bring the good news of Jesus right now so is your best mission field your school is it where you go to work is it the sporting team that you're on what you know whatever the answer to that question is work that out right and then make some concrete decisions that will help you to get on mission in that place So you might decide that at school, I'm going to start going to Flipside every week, not just to eat pizza, right? because I forgot my lunch, but to actually talk to the people who are there who don't know Jesus yet. You might come to Flipside and intentionally talk to the people who aren't your friends, but don't know about Jesus. You You might decide to just, every time you have a shift at work... Just ask someone at work, hey, what do you believe? And just ask them about themselves and see what kind of conversation happens from that. You might just, there's all sorts of, you could do some school bus evangelism, right? Here's how you do school bus evangelism. You sit down on the bus next to someone, friend, maybe you don't even know, and be like, hey, what are you doing on the weekend? And they'll be like, "I'm doing blah, blah. And they'll be like, what are you doing on the weekend? And you'll be like, I'm doing this thing called youth group. And then you can start to talk about God. Um, You could use Facebook and Instagram in a helpful way to talk about Jesus and show that you're a Christian. I say helpful way because there's actually unhelpful ways to talk about Jesus and so on on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So you could do that in a a thoughtful, helpful way. So there's one question. (laughs) Where's the best place for us to be on mission now? Number two, though... I want you guys to actually maybe think about your future. I decided what I was going to do for the rest of my life, up until now at least, uh, when I was in year 11. Committed to what I want to do then. So you want to ask this question, where might be the best place for you to do mission in the future? Could you perhaps move somewhere else in Australia after you finish school for the sake of mission? Could you move one day somewhere else in the world for the sake of mission? Or another way of thinking about this question is this, right? You might ask the question, what is it that would stop me from going? There's lots of good reasons to go. There's lots of need out there. So what would stop me from going? Because if you come up with some good reasons why that you should be stopped from going, the best thing is you'll end up living where you are intentionally on mission there. So whether you live on the Central Coast for the rest of your life or whether you live in who knows where... The question is, am I here living intentionally for the sake of mission, for the sake of the gospel, or am I just living here because this is where I grew up? Be intentional with your lives. There's two questions that are worthwhile thinking about, now and the future. Chat to someone over supper, chat about that, maybe chat around the fire tonight. I think we're going to be hanging out later on tonight for seniors. Where's the best place for mission now? Where's the best place for the future? Now, if we just step back and remember this whole talk... Um, If you realise what the church exists for, what our job is, I reckon you'll find it is actually the most exciting thing in the world to be a part of, this thing called the church. See, the church exists for worship. We could live our lives worshipping all sorts of things. You could spend your life on a million different things. But is there anything more worth your life than worship for the eternal God who will live forever? He's the most valuable thing in the world and so to spend your life worshiping him is the most exciting thing you could do. There's all sorts of things that you could serve in this life. The church exists for service. So you could serve by serving in an organization like land care and looking after the environment. That'd be a good thing to do. You could serve as a I don't know, a school captain. You could do all sorts of service, right? But what service is more worthwhile than service to the God of the universe and to the gathering that's going to last forever around him. And the point isn't don't do any other type of service except for service to God in that way. I'm just saying, what service is more worthwhile than that? Serving the God of the universe and the gathering that he's died to create. And then finally, mission. You could, you could do all sorts. You could, you could spend your life saving lives at the beach as a life, surf lifesaver, right? And that'd be a pretty good thing to do to save lives day in, day out at the beach. But what matters more, what could be more valuable than seeing souls saved for eternity, to be with God forever? And so give yourselves to that mission. The job of the church is the most exciting thing you could ever give yourself to. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have gathered us as your church. But not only have you gathered us, you've actually given us a wonderful thing to live for. Father, please help us as a church, as as a community built around Jesus, to live for what matters. May our lives be dedicated to worshipping you. Lord, may we use our hands in service of you in any way we can. And Father, I pray that you'd send us. I pray that we would go and make disciples of all nations. Amen.